Yeah, no, that was you mostly. <laughs> but that's okay. Oh that's goodness. fine. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to say a little prayer for him, and then I'm going to let him do what he's here to do. Right? Okay. All right. Father God, we are so thankful to have Jason with us today. We pray that you will, as my wife would say, give him a ready recollection. <laughs> Allow his, uh, your thoughts to flow from him today. Allow him to fulfill your will and whatever it is your spirit places on him to speak before this body of believers. Lord, we anticipate wonderful things from you, Lord, not only in this moment, but moving forward. We are thankful for their safe journey here. We pray that Jason and Allison will have a safe trip home. And uh, thank you for blessing us with their presence today. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. 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 Oh, boy. Thank you all very much for having me. I hope by the end of this time you don't regret that. <laughs> too late, too late. Already regret, already filled with regret. Thank you for your hospitality, for welcoming Allison and I. This is my wife here, two rows back, because we can't sit in the very front row because, goodness gracious, that would be pretentious, brethren, now, wouldn't it? So we set a row back, uh, but... Uh, since we arrived last night, Herb, Tracy, and Leah, thank you for your hospitality. Uh, it's been a very warm welcome. I'm originally from Virginia, from a, a country church in the middle of nowhere. So when I drove here, I'm like, oh, I'm coming home. This is fantastic. Uh, so it's very near and dear to my heart. But, but thank you for the kindness that you showed to both of us already this morning. Uh, I, I have the daunting task of, of bringing this series to a close uh, and, and I don't want the, the, the letters D and R before my name to indicate that somehow the Spirit has anointed me in any way differently than you, okay? So the same Spirit works, and we are going to encounter God's Word together. So turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 27 to 33, and I will try to simultaneously use my manuscript and do the, uh, the iPad here as well. Wow, man, I feel really fancy right now. Luke 14, 27 to 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples, uh, his disciples who, mind you, get a little cocky every once in a while. They think they know what's best, uh, and once again, Jesus has to remind them of, I don't think you fully understand what it means to be a follower of me, 14 verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are, are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Let's pray again. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here long before we arrived. And Almighty God, you do not need us, but you choose us 
you choose to work through us. And many times, Lord, this plan that you have with your church, even with a church called Brethren, seems to be foolish. Aren't there more effective ways, we ask ourselves, than broken, frail human beings? But Lord, this is, this is how you've chosen to work. And we thank you for the person of Jesus Christ, simultaneously the second person of the Trinity, Lord, because when we thought that you would pitch everything and stop working through humanity, you doubled down and you came to earth in human flesh to show us what God is like, to show us what it means to be fully faithful human beings. Thank you, Lord, for your witness. Thank you for your love and for your truth that still speak to us today by the power of your spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would anoint the words of this message that you would be high and lifted up, Lord, as brethren have done for centuries. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The past few weeks have hopefully, hopefully, opened your eyes to your brethren heritage. And I've been tasked with why this matters today. How does our story inform what I will call our cultural moment? A cultural moment is a transformative moment in time when a group or a person's distinct story intersects with the world around them. In these moments, that person or that group will describe themselves as being awakened to count the cost for such a time as this, as Esther said in the Old Testament. And Luke 14 is such a pivotal moment in the Gospels because Jesus is beginning to make his move towards Jerusalem, towards his death, and our Lord and leader offers his last will and testament. Will his followers be willing to suffer the same fate that awaits him? A cultural moment. That moment in which our story intersects with our world. In the words of the spiritual writer Frederick Beekner, that moment when our passion and the world's great need intersect. We become fully alive. We realize why we were called to be who we are. And our ordinary lives connect with a larger story, and we feel purpose. This passage reveals that discipleship is not easy. Our accountability to God and the rigor of the task before us requires that we understand the commitment to walk faithfully as Jesus' disciples. In this passage, Jesus wants his followers to be aware of what is required to walk the full route with them. We must therefore count the cost of following him if we are going to finish that walk. And so to get his point across clearly, Jesus uses two illustrations. One is of a man who builds a watchtower over his land or over a city. Such an undertaking is expensive, and he must be sure the project is affordable. Thus, it is best to estimate the cost before starting to build. And the second image pictures a king assessing his strength in preparation for war. Because what king would go to war outnumbered? Does he not first sit down and consider whether his 10,000 can beat his opponent's 20,000? And if he realizes he cannot win, he will send a delegation and negotiate peace. Similar to these stories, those who want to be disciples of Jesus must make such an assessment. Because the call of the text 
is that discipleship requires that Jesus be given primary allegiance in everything. The Lord wants to have priority in every area of your life and my life. Discerning how this works itself out in life takes time with God's word, prayer, involvement in a healthy community like this, and listening to God through all the means he makes available to us. Brethren are no strangers to counting the cost. Our ancestors of the faith made this passage primary as they sought to be faithful to the way of Jesus. And so this morning, I'd like to open the family album up, recall a few key moments and people that make up our family. I want us to receive a challenging reminder about who we are and what our witness calls out of us today. And my prayer is that their zealous faith, their strong convictions, their seizing of their cultural moments will spur our discipleship to greater cost. Our first story comes from our very beginning. To baptize or be baptized as an adult was originally an act of civil disobedience because unlike our day, early brethren converts needed to count the cost of possible imprisonment, banishment from their homeland, and suffering even to the point of death for their choice of baptism. But for the early brethren, baptism was the primary marker of a change of heart. An individual's baptism marked their move into the community of faith. It was their first step into obedience and reform of life. And thus, baptism marked the beginning of their new life in Jesus, new life that already bore fruit. And so as early brethren waded into the waters for baptism, they were first asked, based off this passage, if they had counted the cost of their decision. Because when one went under the waters, they did so knowing the following truths. Number one, you were following the example of Jesus. Number two, you were dying to self and rising again in Christ, represented by the waters. Number three, you were rejecting your infant baptism because it was a baptism you did not consciously choose. And number four, because you did that, you would now be a fugitive of the state because infant baptism recognized your entrance into the established church of a region, which also signified your citizenship with that region. So when you rejected your infant baptism, you rejected your very earthly citizenship. And so number five, you knew when you came out of the waters of baptism, your life was now in jeopardy. Baptism was a radical departure from a compromised church. It was a call to follow as close as possible the commands of Jesus and the early church. It was a bedrock truth for all brethren who came after that our kingdom is not of this world because our Lord is Jesus Christ. And so as Alexander Mack, founder of the Brethren, would pen in his poem entitled Count the Cost, Christ Jesus says, count well the cost when you lay the foundation. Are you resolved, though all seem lost, to risk your reputation? Yourself, your wealth for Christ the Lord as you now give your solemn word. Now, cross the Atlantic with me as we settle in Germantown, Pennsylvania, outside of what is now Philadelphia. A wealthy German printer and his son run a successful printing press to communicate with the thousands of German immigrants who call colonial Pennsylvania their home. The Sauer Press 
run by Christopher Sauer, one and two, father and son, was a countercultural media channel of its day. And Christopher Sauer, two, a leader of the Brethren during the period, would suffer severely during the American Revolution when his press was confiscated and he was tortured for his unwillingness to support the revolutionary cause. He was declared an enemy of the state in order to appear before a magistrate. However, two weeks before his scheduled appearance, soldiers arrested him at his home on May 25, 1778, and placed him in jail after they confiscated his property. And the following is Sauer's account of, the recollection, of his recollection of the events. He writes, In my house that night, and the next day till 10 o'clock at night, when a strong party of Captain McLean's company surrounded my house and fetched me out of my bed, it was a dark night. They led me through the Indian cornfields where I could not come along as fast as they wanted me to go. They frequently struck me in the back with their bayonets. Just so you know, a bayonet is a sharp point on the end. Then they stripped me naked to the skin and gave me an old shirt and pants, so much torn that I could hardly cover my private parts. Then they cut my beard and my hair, a highly significant act in that period, and painted me with oil colors red and black, and so led me along barefooted and bareheaded on a very hot day. But the fortitude of Sauer came from his deep faith in God. Upon the death of his father in 1758, Sauer too penned an obituary that honored the legacy of his dad and also revealed his own commitment to carry on this brethren legacy through his father's print shop. I find myself obligated for the sake of God, he writes, to not be moved by money or flattery to print something which is against the honor of God and the well-being of this country. For it is to the honor of God and the well-being of this country that this print shop has been dedicated and I will seek always to maintain this aim. The Sowers believed that engagement in the marketplace carried with it a responsibility to raise the moral consciousness of their audience regarding those perceived as outsiders. Sour one criticized the treatment of Native Americans by the English-speaking majority. He noted especially the stealing of land from Native Americans and the corrupting influence of European society. And both Sowers also denounced slavery consistently and urged their German readers to have nothing to do with that sinful practice. The Sowers also showed concern for the poor and announcing his intention to print a German language Bible, the first one in America, mind you, Sauer I indicated that he would distribute any profits from the sale of the Bibles to the poor. He would even provide Bibles free of charge to the destitute. Brethren, then and now, Count the cost by being countercultural when the need arises, when the ways of this world are counter to the ways of God's kingdom. Now let's travel to the farmlands of the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, a beautiful place where I'm from. Nothing but good stock comes out of Virginia. Amen? There we go. You're like, whatever. Still true, though. Anyway, um, John Klein was an important figure among 19th century brethren as he crisscrossed the Mason-Dixon line to hold the church together during the outbreak of the Civil War. On January 30, 1861, Klein wrote the governor of Virginia, a man named John Letcher, 
articulating why brethren would not support the secession of southern states. Folks, I'm from Virginia. This letter was going to get him killed. We knew it. The general government of the United States of America, he notes, constituted upon an inseparable union of the several states, has proved itself to be of incalculable worth to its citizens and the world. And therefore we, and the we meaning brethren, as a church and people, are heart and soul opposed to any move which looks forward to its dismemberment. Less than 30 days earlier, in a diary entry dated January 1st, 1861, Klein assessed the state of the country that would prompt his letter to the governor. His diary entry begins as follows. The year opens with dark and lowering clouds in our national horizon. I feel a deep interest in the peace and prosperity of our country, but in my view, both are sorely threatened now. Secession is the cry further south, and I am greatly and I greatly fear its poisonous breath is being wafted northward towards Virginia on the wings of fanatical discontent. The perishable things of earth distress me not, only in so far as they affect the imperishable. Secession means war, and war means tears and ashes and blood. It means bonds and imprisonment, and perhaps even death to many in our beloved brotherhood, who I have the confidence to believe will die rather than disobey God by taking up arms. Klein's witness models the brethren posture towards the state. It is a witness that understands citizenship to be first and foremost in Christ's kingdom. It defines patriotism in greater terms than is currently popular. Such a posture makes the brethren one of the few groups during the period who do not split north to south as the Amish and the Mennonites and the brethren were resolute in their opposition to slavery. And so as John Klein journaled on the anniversary of George Washington's birth, with cannon fire in the distance, mind you, he writes, My highest conception of patriotism is found in the man who loves the Lord his God with all his heart and his neighbor as himself. Out of these affections spring the subordinate love for one's country, Love truly virtuous for one's companion and children, relatives and friends, and in its most comprehensive sense, takes in the whole human family. Though gunshots and celebrations of patriotism occurred all around him, separation stood as a reminder of his true fatherland. Christ was Klein's king, even when the nation celebrated the birthday of former President George Washington. So, counting the ultimate cost, as Klein returned from a routine trip to fix a friend's clock, the man who rallied the brethren to stay together while the country divided was ambushed by a group of Confederate rebels who were suspicious of his going back and forth north to south. They pounced on him as he came into a clearing, and with knives and guns, they killed him. Klein's martyrdom shows that brethren count the cost to stay unified in a divided world. A polarized world should never divide us around the essential beliefs of our witness. So, with these family snapshots, what can we glean for our witness today? What do the brethren have to offer the complex world of the 21st century? I would argue maybe the first step is for us to remember the past as we move into the future. 
Our story shows that from a backwater in Germany in 1708 to the present day, that we are a people who don't just follow Jesus, we study him, we argue about him, we wrestle with him, we try to act exactly like him, we cannot get enough of him. Because I said in other places, we are not just Christ-centered. Folks, many times brethren are just Christ-obsessed. Sometimes in our obsession, we lose the forest for the trees, and I am guilty as charged. But our story always awakens us to the corrective of discipleship. But our story also reminds us the choices of discipleship are not always easy. To follow Jesus and share his cross may mean that neighbors and friends do not always understand why we do what we do. Sometimes they will not support us and may even do things that hurt us. Our understanding of what counting the cost means is only theoretical until we are put in such circumstances. But those who have contemplated counting the cost will be ready when the moment comes. They must rely on God like our brethren ancestors did. So what is our cultural moment or cultural moments? What is the Bible speaking afresh to us today? Where are we being called to be countercultural? How do we remain unified in a divisive and polarized world? Where does our world need a reasoned, humble word of truth? What is the Lord awaking us to? How will you count the cost? Because I don't come here with a lot of suggestions. I come here to ask you good questions that hopefully you can wrestle with and be a part of that response. Because my home church of Park Street in Ashland will answer these questions differently. But we all must ask, how will we count the cost? How are you, Gretna, individuals of Gretna, be faithful to the authority of Scripture? How are you, beloved people of Gretna, challenge powers that run counter to God's kingdom? And don't fool yourselves into believing that they don't happen today. They do. How are you, Gretna, choose unity? over separation? How will you, Gretna, think critically about your faith and find the best ways to engage an unbelieving world? How will you, Gretna, carry the mantle of brethren to a world that resonates with our distinct beliefs and posture? The late brethren pastor Brian Moore once wrote, that the brethren approach to interpreting the Christian faith is a most practical expression, adaptable to all cultures and situations, because its appeal is found not in its overt distinctiveness, but in its resonation with the universal needs and conditions of people. We live in a world, even our worlds of Bell Fountain and Ashland, that loves the moral ethical example of Jesus, may have questions about his divinity, but simultaneously with these questions is longing for something to which to give their lives. We live in a hyper-polarized world that's on full display right now, 
that's alienated from family and belonging. Imagine, if you will, a people who could come onto the scene with a simple theology, who loved Jesus, can't get enough of him, were willing to give their lives in humble, loving obedience, who gathered together in the spirit of Christian family. Imagine if those people would show up and met the world around them in truth and love. Now give that people a name. And I wouldn't be standing here right now if I didn't think that brethren was a good name to give them. There's a story of a man who was saved in a brethren revival. The congregation he was joining gathered around the horse tank on the farm. And after the third dip, he leaped out of the water, waving his hands in the air and shouted, It is finished! It is finished! But a brethren elder softly grabbed the back of his shirt and looked straight into his eyes and said, No, brother, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning, Gretna. How will you count the cost? Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that a guy like me can talk about my spiritual family and my heart beams with pride. Thank you, Lord, for our family that many times is on the wrong side of American history. But they did that, Lord, because they realized that America will come and go. Your kingdom is eternal. And they remain true and faithful to that. Thank you, Lord, that we have a family who is faithful to you, first because they want to be obedient and pledge primary allegiance to you, but secondly, Lord, they believe that by being primarily allegiant to you, that that could change the America that they loved. Lord, compared to our ancestors, we are cowards. And Lord, we allow the media channels of our day to dictate where we fall. And we have a world, Lord, that is confused about its identity. Lord, help us be a people who rise up in this moment, who are confident of who we are in you. And we engage the world. And we embrace them and we love them. And we allow the Spirit to work through us to change them. Help us, Lord, as Gretna brethren and as the larger brethren family to say repeatedly, the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Fill us, Lord, with the power, the courage, the risk-taking that we need in this season. Lord, the gospel is eternal and it is good, and the gospel is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, who will always be our loving Lord, our saving Lord, Help us, Lord, to adapt to the needs around us to bring that saving Lord to those who desperately need to hear his call. And help us, sweet Jesus, never to think that we daily don't need your saving lordship in our own lives. In our brokenness, Lord, reveal your strength. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, come on up. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. I don't know about you, but I was challenged a little bit this morning. And I, and I, and I pray that the, we allow the Spirit of God to continue to move us, move our understanding of what He is calling us to in this time and this place to be for our world. We close our service as we always do. If you all stand, uh, we will go through some of our family prayers. Now, I usually have somebody out front writing those things down. I did not do that today, which means I'm going to walk through with a microphone and ask you what it is that God has laid on your heart, what your concerns are. I will give you a few off the top. Uh, Keith Reevestall is in the hospital again. We know that. Um, we're hoping he gets out again on Monday. So um, please continue to pray for him and pray for Deb uh, and the girls too. They... They need a lot of love right now. Um, I would encourage you also uh, to give Bud Jackson a call. He hasn't been here in a few weeks. He's not feeling up to it. So please give him a buzz, bug him a little bit, poke him a little bit, remind him that he is loved, right? Holly, the troops, yeah? What else? Pray for my uncle and my Aunt Terry. They're in Florida, and so is Barb and Jerry Cope. There. Yeah. Pray for um, Courtney Hubbard, her family, student that took her life this week. Um, pray for the students and her friends and the staff, and especially her brother. Viewings today and funerals tomorrow. We have good friends, Bob and Carol Meyer, and their granddaughter is dealing with a brain tumor. Uh, started out with melanoma, and she's been fighting, and this just showed up recently. So. Yes. Okay. Safe trip for you. You're going to Florida? Good for you. I'm jealous, but I will pray for a safe trip. Absolutely. Uh, Mark and I were at uh, the Revive Ohio 15-county reunion last night, and God's really moving in Ohio. We're, we're looking forward to a, um, the 2020 ministry, and um, I actually, we actually found out that Time to Revive, which is the national level, has started international um, ministry in how many? 29 countries. We're finally moving to the international level. We're finally getting people out there to reach nations for God. And that's, this is awesome. God's moving. God's working. Amen. Else? Holly's got one more. Of course you do. And um, praise. Um, I'm, I got a job on Tuesday, going to, um, to Union Station on Tuesday. Good job, Holly. Good job. Anybody else? Something on your hearts, on your minds? 
Who? Pauline had a successful hip surgery. Praise God for that. That can always be a challenge. Anything else? Say? We're going to pray that the rest of WRE gets started back up, right? We're halfway there, right? Okay, did you? <laughs> God is moving in this county. Let's not let him stop, right? Let's be there for him and with him. Yes, Gary. Oh, Dwight. I'd like uh, prayers for those with the flu. I've got some of my help that's down with the flu now, and I'm sure it's going around the way they talk. Okay. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father God, what a gracious and powerful and wonderful God you are. You have heard the cries of our hearts today, those who are close to us that are suffering. And Lord, we know we live in a broken world. We know it has fallen, but that doesn't make it easier to handle sometimes. Really, the, the hope that we must fix our eyes on is you. You are the light in the darkness, and you are the strength in our weakness. Father God, we lift up those today who are hurting. We lift up those today who are disconnected from you. And we pray that, that they will come to know you, that you will speak into their lives in ways they cannot turn away from. And if you are gracious enough to allow us to be a part of that, thank you. Father, we also heard of your praises today the things that you are doing in people's lives that have made a difference and continue to make a difference, the healing you provide that is both spiritual and physical. And for that, we are thankful. For those of us who are traveling either to Florida or back from camp or wherever they may be, we, we pray that you will watch out for them because they are our family. We thank you for your love, your strength, your mercy, and your unending grace. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming.